the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Got my tuxedo on because I want to look important. Just opened my rock star because I want to feel like, well, a rock star. My whole goal on this show is to get you to retirement. My goal is to get 20-somethings thinking about money, if not to start so they can make some mistakes. To get 30-somethings serious about money so they can save a little bit more if they start falling behind. I've got a noble goal on this show. Will I hit it every single time? Probably not. I'll fail. We all do. It's normal. It's pretty healthy. Um, but as long as I drag you a little bit closer every day, that's kind of what I'm looking for. I recently read an article that talked about home ownership in the United States. And I think home ownership is really, really tricky. Most people on radio and television are trying to sell you something. And if they're not, their commercials are. For instance, I will never buy a mattress from Sleep Train. Why? Because they aggressively market on sports radio. And if you shop around radio stations and costs and everything, you'll learn that the only real radio that's rocking and rolling right now is sports radio and sometimes Spanish radio. So the ones that are rocking and rolling, they're still able to charge a premium price. And if Sleep Train can pay so much money in advertising, it tells me that they're probably making up for it with pretty average to below average product or something that's wildly marked up. It's just the way I think. Could I be totally wrong? Absolutely. I tend to think that the best things in the world don't have to advertise. Just my opinion. Again, I could be totally wrong. So I saw that home ownership is at an all-time low in the United States. And I started the show by saying, some days I come out of the gate and, like, I'm awesome. I'm a rock star. I'm important. I help you. And some days I fail. On the opposite side of it, when you see that home ownership is at an all-time low, stop and suck that one in for a second. Suck it in like the first time you are having a cigar. Try to draw as much in as you can. Home ownership at an all-time low. Okay. 
what's that mean? Could it get worse? Absolutely. Does it mean that we're a nation of renters? Absolutely. Yes, no. Because let's get a little bit further into it. The Census Bureau's quarterly report came out recently and showed that the share of Americans who own a home fell to 62.9% in the second quarter, matching 1965 as the lowest reading on record. Now, when we were this low in 1965, did we go to 0% ownership? No. No. And we're at 62.9% ownership, which is... Don't look at it as your high school math test. I think a 62.9 is probably a D in high school math. But this isn't high school math. This is a scenario where 67, 68% home ownership is too hot. 62.9 is too cold. And that's okay. Because we got something that can warm up that porridge down the road. Tentative signs of recovering home ownership at the end of last year have falls down. With the labor market performing pretty well, housing fairly valued, and credit conditions gradually improving, the latest reading should mark the floor. So home ownership should go up from here. What's that tell you? Home Depot? Ding, 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 ding. Lowe's? Ding, 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 ding. Masco? Williams-Sonoma? There's some wonderful investments out there. Sherwin-Williams? Yes, 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 yes. Because when people own homes, what do they do? Oh, I'm just going to let this rot and decay. No, 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 no. That's what you do in your apartment. That's what you do in your rental. A growing number of people are choosing to rent instead of buy homes as a longer-term plan. Oh, man, that just threw a curveball in my thought, Right? Longer-term plan, this is especially true for millennials. Home ownership amongst people age 18 to 34 fell to 34.1% from 34.8%. That's a pretty big drop. It's the largest drop amongst all age groups. So millennials, once again, damn you millennials and your hip-hop culture and your excellent beards and hairstyling products for men. So millennials are constantly in my mind. What they're buying, what they're not buying, They're about experiences, homes versus no homes. The millennial homeownership rate continues to decline. It's important to note that the decrease could be just as likely due to a new renter household formation as is their ability to buy homes. So some millennials are saying, Mom, Dad, Ma'am, Dad, I'm moving out. And Mom or Dad, sweet, me and your father can start smoking weed again. No, 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 no. That's not what your parents are saying. Maybe what they're doing, but that's not what they're saying. So the millennial moves out, and first thing first, he's going to get an apartment. Down the road, he's going to learn apartment living is not for me. I've lived with other men before in my 20s and lived with some women. Um, my first rental situation out of college was living with three drop-dead gorgeous women. And you would have thought that I was the, the Prince of Bel-Air, New, 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 new. I learned that women are filthy. Much dirtier than men. But they put on a good game face on Friday night. Uh, so the latest, this, all this data shows us that probably what's going to happen, if we go back to a historical norm, if we go with the thought that water finds its own level, that millennials will go from renting to going, I don't really want to live with someone, to I want to own my own place. 
So condos and apartments could start seeing buyers down the road. The latest drop in data shows that homeownership rose in just one category. That's amongst 35 to 44-year-old people. As the millennials get a little bit older, they're going to say, you know what? I now have the ways and means to buy my own home. So if millennials follow suit, they get a little bit of uh, slowly rising income, easier credit conditions, steadier economy. The home ownership rate should rise over the next 18 months, making Home Depot, Lowe's, Williams-Sonoma, Masco, all pretty good ideas. You can find others in that in the group of housing and home improvement. Um, you can find companies like Wells Fargo, which obviously is going to be a big player in mortgages. And there's no shame against owning that. You know who owns Wells Fargo? A little man named Warren Buffett. One of the smartest investors of all time. One of the greatest investors of all time. If Michael Jackson ruled the basketball court, Warren Buffett rules the world of investments. So what should you buy when it comes time to buy a home? You want to know that it's a process. You want to know that you should take nothing personally. It may seem obvious, but it's worth keeping in mind that when you're buying a home, there's a lot of other people that are looking at that same exact place. If you want to know the truth when you're buying a home, there's a lot of paperwork. When you're refinancing a mortgage, there's a lot of paperwork. And just when you think you're done with paperwork, guess what? There's more paperwork. So my advice is be patient. Figure out what you can qualify for. Take your time. Move away from mom and dad. Underbuy. Don't overbuy. Later in life, if you want to overbuy, when you have more resources, that's great. Your first home should be a rat hole. I know you're saying rat hole. Sweet. Home sweet rat hole. Call Rob Black now. 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Chipotle is breaking one of its cardinal rules. They're adding chorizo to their menu in like 10 locations, and they're going to roll it out nationally eventually. Why is that breaking one of their cardinal rules? Because one of their cardinal rules is keep it simple stupid. Their menu really hasn't changed, and it's been very, very basic. Um, But they're thinking now is the time to try to win back people by adding kind of a chicken sausage. So I don't even want to think about what a chicken sausage looks like in life. But you get the idea. I saw an article recently that I thought could be of service for you. And it was, should I buy a home? And this guy said he's been investing. The premise is, I've been investing in real estate for 25 years. And if you buy a home, you're a sucker. Um, he go, His article starts with, should you own a home? People think the only way to save money is to buy a house. Susie Orman thinks you have no way to earn any real money for yourself. So she advises you to buy a house is the only way to get your money. You will get your home paid off when you're old. 
who wants to wait until they're old to have money. So a lot of people think that a house is a business. A home is not an investment because it doesn't pay you every month. In fact, you have to pay it every month. That's the biggest mistake everyone makes. The home is the best investment you've ever made in your life. No, it's not. I can send you article after article. Um, New York Times did a really great one that it said basically if you invested in real estate from 1960 to 2000 in Washington, D.C., in New York City, in San Francisco, in L.A., in Chicago, you invested in houses in 1960. Um, or you invest in the stock market in 1960. Same amount of money that you put every month into your home, you know, for uh, mortgage and for property taxes and for maintenance and uh, such. Same amount of you put that same amount in the stock market, you come up with 400% more in the stock market. And I just gave you top five biggest cities in the United States. So it's not it's a liability. I agree with this guy. Um, he goes, why would you pay rent when you could buy? That's the biggest argument out there, and you hear it time and time and time again from financial uh, radio shows, which are usually infomercials, just so you know. Um, I think in this day and age that mobility is great, and I, I think we live in a different world than we did 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, so he is saying that it's not a true investment. It's the American dream being fed to you. It's a middle-class myth perpetuated by outdated thinking by politicians and by mass media. Um, buying a house may have worked for previous generations, but old ways of doing things aren't viable in 2016. Um, we are not the same people we were in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Take a look at our uh, millennials. It's not quite as important. Um, thoughts on any of this? Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. His mic's not on. There we go. I sat around a, uh, see, about 15 retired gentlemen when we at this golf tournament we just did, and all of them bought a home, you know, somewhere in the 70s. And you know, all all the homes they bought were under $100,000, and you know, the range of values today were, were from 500 to over a million dollars. It's really difficult to com- make a comparison of what you can do today compared to what it was like to buy a house and hold it for 20, 30, 40 years and get that kind of return. Uh, but a lot of people in the Bay Area are still, especially the Bay Area and especially those large cities where you're seeing as large fluctuations, there's going to be winners and losers. Uh, and you hear a lot about the winners, and you never hear much about the losers. And then the losers eventually come back and they want to be winners. So it's a cycle that a lot of people want to get into. But you're right, Rob. It's a uh, it, People like being mobile nowadays. The, the new generation... Uh, which is getting older and older every day, um, and they're taking more and more of the workforce up. Are, are They need to be mobile. A lot of people in the Bay Area, for example, are moving to places like Denver, Seattle, Portland, uh, Texas, uh, because there's jobs there and there's cheaper housing. The rent here uh, pays for a house in one of those other cities. Uh, and that, that kind of mobility is allowing, you know, if you're renting, it allows you to be able to move on the spot. Um, but... If you were to ask me what I'm seeing more often than I did back in 2005 when I got in, the biz- in this business was uh, people are, are, are consulting more with their financial planners and, and accountants more often than they are before they make a decision in real estate. The, fa- the ability to be mobile is important. I'm a high earner. I've done well in life. But I can also admit, like, this is expensive. And if I hadn't saved enough for retirement, I'm, I'm out of here. 
there's someone like you who's a little bit more thrifty than me. Um, you're able to cut costs better than I can because you're willing to do it. You can stay here. But the person in the middle of us who can't do, who can't lean your way, who can't cut the cost, has good income, not great income. I got great income. Um, they have to leave. And I think that's a reality of that's why you don't want to own. I think this is a renter's market. This isn't a homeowner's market. This is a renter's market. I'm a homeowner. Um, and I'm not proud to say that. I, it's lovely, but good God, what I can get elsewhere in the world. Um, so the article goes on to say, invest in something that pays you. He says, um, buying a home to live in is not going to pay you, whether it's multifamily real estate or something else. A true investment will not cost you money. So he's saying, like, the idea of buying a rental costs you money. You have to put money down. You have to feed it. He says, there are so many real estate agents out there giving false information. That is so damn true. I am so frustrated with the state of quality of education of realtors, of which every 10 that I meet, I respect maybe two. Uh, A home needs to be fed. It won't feed you. If you start investing yourself, focus on growing your income. Earlier in the show, we talked about how the average American watched 35 hours of television. Turn some of that into income. Go to Home Depot, hand out flyers, deliver pizzas, work for a lift, and suddenly you're going to become rich is when you take that 35 hours and you figure out how to grow income, whether it's going to a community college. I don't think you have to go to a four-year college anymore. I think that's a myth. Um, you know, I think in this day and age, if you have kids today, I think you'd be better off teaching them how to code, how to do things math and science oriented than send them a four-year liberal arts school. Um, and it's, it's just a myth. But like 20, 30, 40 years ago, I, I've got a college education. I'm like I can write a hell of a good email, but I learned nothing else in college. I learned how to get up on time. I learned how to kiss professors' butts, which in work terms, um, get up on time so that you beat traffic because if you're in traffic every day and you're late, your boss is going to fire you. If you don't know how to kiss your, butts, uh, your manager's butt, kiss your butt. <laughs> I'm like Beavis all of a sudden. Um, if you don't know how to kiss your manager's butt, if you don't know how to network, like that's what college is really all about, in my opinion. So I think a lot of Americans have been made to believe the myth of getting rich is is all be all that and more. Um, blame them, hate them, resent them. Uh, they're safe, you know. The the baby boomers, they got their house, they they did it right on their level, but it's not necessarily appropriate for people who are under 35. Um, will you be able to survive inflation, housing bust, tight credit, high unemployment rates? Um, you got to be comfortable with what you're doing. Don't get caught in the idea that a house is a ticket to wealth because you have to put big money down and you have to service it. And in this day and age, I'd rather look at real estate as buying investment properties where you can get income in, but then again, you still put money into it. Or I'd rather you put- You're listening to an encore presentation on KDOW. Black now. 800 516 1220. That's 800 516 1220. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. 
Welcome in. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and now joining me now from briefing.com, man I read his columns first thing in the morning. His page one, Patrick O'Hare. Mr. O'Hare, how are you? Hi, Rob. Good to be back with you. I'm doing well. Thank you. So, I don't know. It, it feels like it's good to be back, but doesn't it feel like we're whistling through a graveyard with headlines like Jap- Japan unleashes $274 billion stimulus and stocks are sinking? Like, there seems just, we're whistling through a graveyard, it feels like. Yeah, there's, um, you know, there's a lot of interesting things going on, I think, in the capital markets right now. And I think it it really, at, at the heart of it, reflects a, a pervasive sense of confusion about what is going on. Um, you have a lot of rotation in the market, between markets, and um, and I just think it's, it's just, uh, you know, a symptom of the uncertainty uh, as well as the understanding that the market is the stock market, even the bond market for that matter, is trading trading with at stretched valuations, and uh, and I think everyone is uh, deep down somewhat concerned about um, obviously the, the the distorted pricing that you're getting as a result of all of this uh, monetary policy that's been so accommodated for so long now. But on the other hand, we're seeing consumer spending increase at a, a pretty healthy clip. Uh, so we're getting some mixed messages, and it's almost like I want to have I want to cut the other hand off and just go with the positive one. Yeah. Probably not a good idea. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, it's interesting. You're right. Uh, you are seeing spending pick up, um, but uh, over the last three months, you've actually seen spending increase at a faster rate than income growth. At the same time, the personal savings rate has dropped. And what's interesting about that is that when the personal savings rate, you know, comes down, I think, you know, consumers spend out of savings either because they have to um, or because they feel good about their job slash income security. And with spending increasing at a faster rate than income growth here over the last three months, um, you know, I'm not so certain that they're they're feeling so great I'm not so certain that the spending increase you're seeing is led so much by feelings of optimism about income growth as it is more so about uh, not getting enough income growth and therefore you're spending out of savings. Um, so, and that fits into this picture of an economy that uh, is doing okay, relatively speaking, but certainly isn't doing uh, well enough for the vast majority of people out there, and, and consequently, you know, we keep seeing these subdued growth rates uh, that, um, you know, continue to sap business confidence and and that willingness to invest in new uh, new facilities, new equipment, uh, and the like that is, has been a real holdback for, for economic growth. So, um, you know, it's an aside here. I just wanted to point that out, and it's something that, you know, it's a trend worth watching here in the coming months. Um, certainly, because there is a lot of attention that's being paid right now to the better levels of consumer spending, which seem to be the, you know, the mainstay, uh, which are the mainstay of growth right now in the U.S. economy. And, and ideally, you want to see that paired, though, with, I think, stronger income growth, uh, which will lead to a better housing market, uh, as well as stronger uh, levels of consumer or uh, business confidence, which will lead to a pickup in, uh, in capital expenditures. And then you've got a much better scenario for stronger economic growth. Now, I saw that we're, again, we're getting some mixed numbers. The auto sales look like they've 
plateaued a little bit, maybe with Ford in their earnings call. Uh, do we still care about the autos, or does housing trump autos? Does spending trump housing? Uh, what would you say, you know, if we were to look at these three measures and metrics and, and try to piece together some insight? Well, sure. Uh, you know, on a related note, as we talk about, you know, uh, GDP being disappointed, I mean, auto uh, production is a key uh, source of, uh, of industrial production, which uh, helps drive, uh, you know, business investment and consumer spending. And, you know, the we've talked about this in the past, though, is that even when you saw auto sales just, you know, kind of going crazy, rising to record levels, the auto stocks themselves just kind of didn't, you know, go along for the ride. And I think that those stocks were effectively, you know, discounting what we're talking about today, which is this idea that um, uh, the recovery in the U.S. auto market, as Ford alluded to in a recent warning, uh, seems to be hitting a mature, uh, maturing level here where you know, you're not going to see excel- an acceleration in growth rates here, probably because a lot of demand has been pulled forward already by the very low interest rates we've seen persist for so long uh, and as well as by the drop in gasoline prices that have induced a whole lot of buy- uh, people out there to go out and buy trucks and SUVs and the like. And I think, uh, you know, if you start seeing the sales slow down here, you're not going to get those uh, increased levels of production in the auto sector, which would then feed through to, um, you know, industrial production and, and act as a drag then in turn on on U.S. GDP. So it's a very important sector uh, for for the U.S. economy. Housing is as well, obviously. Uh, there's a multiplier effect involved with housing. And, you know, and housing is is doing okay here. You know, you're seeing some improving trends in housing, but of late, uh, in the last three months or so, you have seen a, a stabilization and even a slowdown in those growth rates, which is striking when we when you take a step back and you look at the fact that you know mortgage rates are still so low. Um, you're not seeing a, a real strong pickup in growth there, driven in large part by the fact that prices have risen considerably in many markets and have pinched the affordability factor for a lot of potential buyers along with what I alluded to earlier, this idea that income growth uh, just hasn't kept up with the pace of inflation and home price growth. And so and so things just don't materialize in the way that you think they would when you're staring at mortgage rates that are at or near record lows right now. And so, so that's why it's important to see a, a stronger uh, pickup in income growth here because that can lead to all sorts of, you know, good kinds of economic activity that leads to higher levels of consumer spending, uh, and good consumer spending, I should say, not spending out of savings just because, you know, you don't have the means to spend, uh, as well as stronger levels of, of business spending as uh, the businesses themselves feel better about aggregate demand picking up in the future. A lot of people may not know this, but when you come on at 7.33 Pacific Time, I always replay it at 8.33 because I like to re-listen to what you say. And this is a great example. I'm looking forward to the replay. Um with that said, let's talk a little politics, and we don't have to get too deep into who's right and who's wrong, or you don't have to get too political with it, but it seems like this political season is more surreal than the last, and uh, I saw Moody's come out today, and Moody's, uh, Mark Zandi said Clinton would be better than Trump because she's going to tax, but she's also going to spend. Uh, Trump is going to try to cut taxes to get more spending. That's the basic of it. It's got to be bigger than that. But how are you feeling about the political season and how odd it's playing out? And uh, uh, are you seeing Wall Street lean a different one way or the other? 
Yeah, I, you know, I think odd is the operative word there, Rob. I mean, this, uh, you know, political season has, has just been so, so strange and, and divisive. Uh, and, you know, frankly, I don't think Wall Street right now is is trading at all on what's going on with presidential politics. Uh, I really don't believe that, uh, partly because I don't think Wall Street even knows what to think about who the better candidate would be, right? Uh, so maybe in a broader sense, you see, you know, uh, Mrs. Clinton talk about, you know, taxing more and spending more, you know, maybe that helps. But at the same time, you know, she's talking about wanting to, uh, you know, facilitate, uh, you know, more regulations against the financial sector, i.e. Wall Street, uh, as is Mr. Trump talking about, you know, bringing back Glass-Steagall. And, uh, and so neither candidate, uh, at least in terms of what the popular rhetoric, rhetoric is, seems to be saying a lot of things that are, are quote-unquote, good for Wall Street, and yet you still have the market here, you know, trading at, at record highs, even though, uh, as we, as every political narrative, it seems like, you know, points out how unusual this election season is and, and how, you know, voters are out there needing to choose the least worst candidate, you know, for for the economy and for the markets. And uh, But again, the market has traded right through it um, because it's being governed in large part by the monetary policy around the globe, you know, which keeps driving interest rates down and keeps raising the relative appeal of, of equities, or at least keeps creating the sense that there's really no better alternative for seeking higher yield than than what you might be able to get within the equity market uh, if you're accepting, you know, a price risk as well to go search for that income. So, um, so it is an odd political season, and I think it might come, you know, right down to the end before we have any good sense of what the market really does feel about um, about the presidential election and, and its outcome. We're almost out of time. We've got about 30 seconds. Is there anything you want to plug, push, or endorse? Well, you know, we, we can keep an eye here, obviously, on the employment data that's coming out at the end of the week. We saw that uh, kind of shift the whole market mentality uh, when we saw a really strong July number. Um, and so market participants want to see that follow through uh, again. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, June number. See that strong follow through again in July and, and hopefully see it accompanied by a stronger level of wage growth, which, again, fitting with today's interview theme, can to better things for the U.S. economy down the road. Thanks for your help. It's Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com. I start with his page one five days a week. On Friday, he does The Big Picture. Great articles at Briefing.com, a great source of non-biased information, both on a domestic and international investing, and so much, much more. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Um, I do my very best on a regular basis of showing you not how easy it is, but 
perhaps how you should be approaching investing and cutting down on mistakes and trying not to hit home runs. I see some crazy, crazy plays out there. Uh, people who are trying to, you know, smack it and trying to win by either starting late and coming up with a, a shortcut or just getting in way over their head. So a couple things you want to set some priorities. You want to pay off debt. You want to save for retirement. You want to enjoy life. You want to invest in your, your ability to earn income. Next, you want to make a budget. You want to bring your spending under control. Um, I got an email from someone who was like, hey, I like your idea of mint.com, but do you really feel comfortable putting your bank accounts into it? Me, absolutely yes. Uh, mint is a budgeting software tool. It is read only, so you can't transfer money from, if you put your Bank America account in, you can't transfer money. Uh, you want to learn the basics of banking and saving. Uh, a lot of people don't get the concept. I keep enough money in the bank account to basically cover my bills, plus maybe a cushion of $5,000, and I monitor my bank account. So if I go out to lunch, I pull up my bank account on my phone and see how much is in there. And I tend to invest the rest. I have an emergency fund as well. But I try to keep it as lean as possible without getting myself into a position of, of bouncing, right? Most of us need to learn the basics of investing. Everything in my life is more expensive than it was 10 years ago, so inflation is the boogeyman. You have to invest to beat inflation. So does rent, vacations, cars, all cost more money. So inflation typically averages 2 to 4%, and inflation tends to be both a good thing and a bad thing. It's good because it tends to lead towards more corporate earnings. It's bad because if you're not investing in those corporations, you know, you're getting 10% return from stocks, um, 6% from bonds, 5% from real estate, 2 to 4% lot of all those gains are lost to inflation. So you want to learn the investments, the basics of investing. Um, you want to take advantage of a workplace 401k, 403, 457. You want to save 1% of your income. No, 2%. Whatever it is, every year make it more until it at least hits 15%. It lowers your taxable income and it gets you to retirement. If you don't have a nest egg, retirement's going to look really ugly. You're going to be eating cat food. Uh, living in a trailer, which is not the golden years. We want the Henry Fonda golden years on Golden Pond. Yo, poop! Uh, you want to invest in your 401k, 403, 457. Um, and if you can throw in more into index funds, that's great. Or exchange rate funds, great. So, but you got to max out that 401k, maybe not in your 20s, but definitely in your 30s. Uh, otherwise, you're going to be working until the day you die. You want to replace 10 to 20 times your income before you retire. So if you're making $100,000, you want somewhere between $1 million and $2 million. You want to invest in bonds a little bit. I don't think bonds are as important when you're younger as they are when you're older. And I think investing in bonds in your 20s and 30s may be a mistake. If you can take volatility, I want to, I want to go for 1% to 2% returns. Um, buying a home, owning your home is the American dream, right? That's a bunch of crap. It could be a nightmare. Owning your home is a liability. It's a 30-year commitment. I've got a mortgage payment that's due for the next 25 years, 24 years. If I lose my job, it's still due. Um, but if you do want to buy a home, you want to live in it for over five years, great idea. 
consider something that's close to jobs and good schools. Um, if you want to buy an investment property, consider something that's pretty exclusive, um, like Santa Barbara. Uh, Tahoe is all rentals, so Tahoe is very competitive. Uh, it sounds great, but it's very competitive. So you want to control debt. Very important to control debt. You've got to know when to hold debt, know when to fold it. Uh, pay off all debt over 8%. Mortgage and student debt is considered tax advantage and positive, in my opinion, uh, because it leads to good things. Um, pay off your college loans. Yeah, sure. I serviced mine because mine were in the 1% to 2% range. But if your college debt's over 8%, pay it off. Um, you're always going to have debt, and debt's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. So um, know that it's out there. Elsewhere in the world of investing, asset allocation is really important. You want to have a diversified portfolio. The single most important thing an investor can do is practice asset allocation. Um, stocks, bonds, real estate all work over time, but you don't just buy one. Equity diversification is really important as well. Um, when you buy a car, you should buy a two-year-old car. Uh, you should never buy new. If you do, make sure you get gap insurance. New cars are for super wealthy people or super stupid people. Uh, you just pay a premium. Um, leasing could be okay. I'm not crazy about leasing, but I prefer it to buy a new car, especially if you can keep it under 12,000 miles. And if you want, if you absolutely positively must have that new car smell, that's the way to go, in my opinion. Uh, car insurance, auto insurance could be a nightmare. It's costly, it's confusing, it's unrewarding. Um, I don't buy extended warranties on anything but things that can break, like notebooks and tablets and Less so now than ever before. Um, don't use your insurance unless you have to. So if someone deems your door, if you do that claim, your premiums will go up. So if you can live with a ding, that's great. If you can't live with a ding, just know that you'd be paying more. Insurance companies don't like you using the insurance. Um, health insurance is super important. A three-day stay in the hospital is going to cost you $25,000 in this day and age. So make sure you have good health care insurance and don't ever let that lapse. You can find me online at robblackshow.com, Twitter at robblackshow, YouTube robblackshow. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.